the teams you care about. I've got Pats, I've got Sox, Bruins, Celtics, UVM. Where do we want to start? The stories that matter to you. A huge shocker out of Foxborough, Mac Jones, the quarterback of your New England Patriots. This is your home for New England sports. I admit it, I'm a card-carrying member of both the High and Bloom and Cam Newton fan clubs. This is the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV-AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. What's up, everybody? Welcome in. Brady Farkas Show right here on a Monday on WDEV-AM and FM and WDEVradio.com. It's our first football Monday of the year. It's sadly not a Patriots win Monday. Not the way we wanted to start off the NFL season. Patriots losing at home to a division rival in the Miami Dolphins. Final score, 17-16. Pats are now 0-1. I've got to say, though, before we really get into the show, we were pretty dead on in the way this game would play out. Low scoring and ugly. We said on Friday, our prediction was on this show, Patriots would win 19-16. That was our prediction. So, We were wrong on that, obviously, but if they don't turn it over in the fourth quarter and they kick a field goal, they probably win that game 19-17. to So we were pretty much dead on with our prediction and our assessment of this game. We almost got the exact score correct, but it wasn't to be. We'll spend the next 90 minutes talking about the game. We'll talk with Michael Leva of DolphinsTalk.com about the win for the, well, win for the Dolphins at 545. And we'll discuss the Red Sox as they get ready for the Mariners tonight in Seattle, a big three-game series out west. You can always get in on the Napa-Morrisville, Napa-Waterbury text line, 802-585-3026. It's your locally owned Napa stores in Waterbury and Morrisville. Let's not waste any time. Let go! 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. And here we go. The opening thoughts in the Brady Farkas show brought to you by Sticks and Stuff and Swanton Lumber, Vermont's most complete locally owned home center with locations in Enosburg, Derby, Middlesex, St. Albans, and at Swanton Lumber. They're online at sticksandstuff.com. Let's get this out of the way first. That's a game the Patriots should have won. Okay? They should have won that game. They controlled the game in a lot of different ways, but they didn't win. They should have won, and they didn't. Now we have to look at the question of why. Why didn't the Patriots actually, why didn't they close out a game that they actually controlled in nearly every facet? It's very easy to see that a huge contributing factor was the turnovers. Okay, They fumbled four times in total, two of which they lost, and the backbreaker, of course, was the Damian Harris fumble in the fourth quarter when you're going for a a game-winning score at the end. Much like Cam fumbling last year in Buffalo, we all saw that. We know the turnovers contributed to it. But go beyond that. More than just that one singular play or the Ramondre Stevenson fumble, so I guess those two singular plays. The Patriots lost yesterday because of a problem that became all too familiar last year. They couldn't finish drives with touchdowns. This is exactly what we saw last year during the Patriots' struggles. They hold the ball for a long time. They control tempo. They control the they're dictating the pace of the game. But you do all that and then you turn it over or you settle for a field goal. 
That's what the Patriots did last year at times, and that's what they did yesterday. The Pats were one of four in the red zone. In terms of converting touchdowns, the Patriots were one of four in the red zone. That can't happen. Take all the stats from yesterday and throw them out because that's the only one that matters. The Patriots, one of four at converting touchdowns in the red zone. That's where yesterday's game was won by Miami. They held the Pats and lost by the Patriots, who failed to capitalize on the red zone. The Patriots had the ball for 13 minutes more than the Dolphins. The Patriots had had, had three drives yesterday, three separate drives of 14 plays yesterday, and every single one of them ended in field goals. It's great to control time of possession. It's great to wear a defense out. But if you are going to shrink the game in that manner, understand you're shrinking it for yourself as well, and you're reducing the total number of possessions. If you hold the ball for that long, if you control time of possession like that, you have to get touchdowns, and the Patriots didn't. That, that game yesterday was very winnable, and it comes down to one thing, the Pats' inability to capitalize in the red zone. And it's a familiar problem. We saw this same thing last year with Cam at quarterback. They could dominate the clock, but if you can't fully capitalize, it can come back to bite you, and it did. I think back to last year. Ironically enough, last November 25th, 10 months ago, I spoke to former Patriots quarterback Doug Flutie, and we were having the exact same conversation about the 2020 Patriots as we're having about yesterday's Patriots. When you're a nickel and dime passing, when you're not the downfield passing, uh, it's run the ball, eat up clock, play action, Cam running the ball. How do we convert first down? Convert first downs, convert, convert, and all of a sudden it's a 16 play drive. You're only going to have three or four, four possessions a half. Yeah, you've got to make the most of those and and come away with points. No matter what, though, by doing that, even when they come away with a field, you're going to be in a one possession game. And that's exactly what we saw last November 25th. Flutie and I are talking. He says that yesterday, exact same thing. If you're all about first down, first down, first down, first down, first down, that's great. But how do we get from first down, first down, first down to touchdown to Put the game away, to put the drive away. The Patriots will have to figure that out. We can talk about a lot of other stuff in this game. Penalties, the Pats had eight of them. Turnovers, the Pats had two of them. We could break this game down from every other angle. But if you want to point to why this game was lost, it was the fact the Pats failed to capitalize in the red zone, again, going one of four at scoring touchdowns. If you cannot punch the ball in, you have a hard time winning, and your margin of error becomes very, very small. And yesterday, those few mistakes the Pats made, like they could have been erased if you could cash in. But they couldn't be erased because the Pats couldn't cash in yesterday. They've got to figure out a way to cash their chips. And it's something they'll figure out as the season goes on, I imagine, how to finish drives. Teams with big play offenses, you saw what Kansas City did. Kansas City came from double digits down to beat Cleveland. Dallas, a big play offense. Seattle, a big play offense. Those teams can erase some of their misgivings because they can score quickly. Tampa could do the same thing. Big playability. They can overcome some of their misgivings and some of their shortcomings because they can score quickly. The Patriots don't have that. Not right now. At this point in time, yesterday, 
the Pats did not have the explosiveness to overcome their mistakes. Their mistakes compounded, and they really hurt them. If the Pats convert just one one more of those red zone trips into touchdowns, they win the game. Two, they blow out Miami, and all three, we're talking about a Mac Jones, you know, 35 to, to 16 victory. The game was lost for New England because of the red zone. The Pats were better in time of possession. They ran the ball better. They threw the ball better. They were better on third down. They were better in almost every single way than the Dolphins yesterday, except for the red zone. Miami scored twice in the red zone. The Pats scored once. That's it. That was the game. 802-585-3026, Napa Morrisville, Napa Waterbury text line. Again, 802-585-3026. If you're going to be as deliberate with the ball as the Patriots were yesterday, you've got to be able to cash in, and they just couldn't. Now, there was a lot to like about what we saw from Mac Jones. Okay, There was a lot to like about what we saw from Mac Jones. With the understanding the team didn't finish drives, put that to the side, I walked out of there impressed overall with the rookie. He did a ton well. And yes, for all the comparisons to Tom Brady, the offense looked like it looked with Tom Brady. Some dink and dunk down the field, a couple of take what the defense gives you stuff, and he took a few shots when he needed to. There was an element of explosiveness. We just didn't see it often yesterday. But Mac Jones did hit, let's see, uh, he hit four passes of 20 or more yards. I liked that. He hit four passes of 20 or more yards. So again, elements of explosiveness. He has the ability to drive the ball down the field. There was a lot of dink and dunk, a lot of take the underneath stuff. James White had six catches, much like he would have done with Tom Brady. There was a lot of that, but Mac Jones showed the ability to push the ball down the field. I get four completions of more than 20 yards. I like that. I also like that he distributed the ball well. He hit eight different receivers in this game. We saw Nelson Aguilar. We saw Jacoby Myers. We saw Jonu Smith. We saw Hunter Henry. We saw uh, James White. We saw, uh, let's see, that's like, what is that, five or six? We saw everybody, essentially. We saw Damian Harris. We saw a lot of of guys get involved. Mac Jones did not fixate on one player. He did not become overly reliant on one player. He distributed the ball and got everyone involved. He excelled against pressure. Mac Jones against pressure, 8 of 13 for 74 yards. He checked a lot of boxes. He was poised. He was confident. He was composed. He handled pressure. Our guy Phil Perry, NBC Sports boss, was on TV yesterday talking about how well Mac Jones handled the blitz. The Dolphins waited to unleash their blitzes. It really wasn't until the fourth quarter that they turned up the heat on Mac Jones. But Jones went 9 for 11 for 53 yards in the final frame, including multiple quick hitters where he ID'd the blitz and threw in that direction to help keep the chains moving. He took nine quarterback hits and was still able to complete some very high degree of difficulty throws. So again... Good distributor of the football, good decision maker, took what the defense gave, was smart, was accurate, was precise, was poised, handled the blitz well, was good pre-snap. We said on Friday we really wanted to watch for that. Mac Jones was very impressive in a lot of ways. And in addition to all that, 11 of 16 on third down the Patriots were. Nearly 70% on third down. Mac Jones led them to that percentage. 
He checked a lot of boxes, and he threw his first touchdown. There is a block, and touchdown pass, Aguilar from the rookie, Matt Jones. So it wasn't perfect, but it was pretty darn good, especially for a rookie. I told you week one, I wanted the Patriots to win, but more so than that, I wanted to see traits from Mac Jones. The win didn't mean as much to me as seeing traits, and you saw a lot of them. Poise, confidence, judgment, pre-snap. He got better as the game went on. He did everything they've asked. We asked him to manage the game, and he did that. He didn't fumble the football. He didn't turn it over. Mac Jones yesterday was not the reason that they lost, and that's what we've asked of him. So for me, I thought, you know, he gets a, a B plus, A minus in this game. Again, but not the reason they lost. They lost because they couldn't convert in the red zone. Yes, he's part of that, but he didn't do any one thing to torpedo their chances of winning that game. I do think yesterday was a very good building block for Mac Jones. And he was, by the way, the highest graded quarterback by Pro Football Focus yesterday. The highest graded quarterback, a rookie quarterback, be over Zach Wilson over Trevor Lawrence. Mac Jones, you know, if you go on social media, he's impressing a lot of people with what he did yesterday. And there will be a good amount of wins that come for the Patriots if Mac Jones plays like that. They just have to be better in the red zone. All right. When we come back again, Pats lose 17-16. Let's look at the other side. Dolphins' point of view. The Pats dominated nearly every facet of that game. Did the Dolphins actually deserve to win it? We'll talk with Mike Oliva of DolphinsTalk.com. He's next with us on the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. Welcome back in, Brady Farkas Show, right here on a Monday on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. Patriots losing yesterday 17-16 to the Division rival, Miami Dolphins. Breaking it down with us now is the managing editor of DolphinsTalk.com. It's Mike Oliva. Mike, start here. When you watched that game yesterday, did you think the Dolphins deserved to win? Uh, Absolutely, they deserved to win. I mean, when you force four fumbles, I think um, that's a big part of this game. It came down to penalties and fumbles, really. Patriots had more penalties, 84 yards and penalties, I believe, or somewhere around there, and they – fumbled the ball four times and Miami recovered two. you know, in most games, if you have more yards and penalties and you turn the ball over, you're just not going to win. That was a very tight game. It could have gone either way. Honestly, I know the Patriots had more yardage and all that stuff, but they made the mistakes where Miami had a limited amount of mistakes. When you watched that game, did you come out of it thinking I'd rather have Tua or I'd rather have Mac Jones? I mean, I know that's always the hot topic, and it's they're, they're still so young. Mac Jones played one game. I thought he played well, but I would like to see more. Um, and then when it comes to Tua, I, I mean, everyone has a strong opinion on Tua, and it's almost like politics. Nobody's going to change anybody's <laughs> minds, it seems like, when you talk about Tua. And my whole thing is, you know, is he going to be like Rodgers or Breeze level or Brady? Probably not, but he's also not as bad as a lot of people sort of paint him either. There's that part in the middle. And, you know, yesterday was really only his 10th game ever. And compared to the 
Tua we saw last year. I thought he played well yesterday. Obviously, the one interception was not ideal, but you know that was really his only one mistake of the game. Other than that, I thought he played well. The offense and the offensive line he has really is somewhat shaky. Um, he had no Preston Williams, no Will Fuller. Will he will be back next week? So I think it's still out there on Tua. I think it's really early to say which one you'd rather have but I think they're both good I don't know if either one will be great but I think they're both good you know I asked everybody last week which team needed this win more not that week one is ever a must-win game but which one needed it more and the universal consensus was the Dolphins because of the two a question mark silence the critics but also the Dolphins are playing Buffalo next week and we'd all kind of written that in as a loss. Now maybe the bills are more susceptible than we thought after yesterday's loss, but knowing that you have that tough matchup going in into week two, how important was it to get off to a one and start knowing you have a game in hand? Very important. Cause last year Miami won 10 games, but they started off 0 and two with the same schedule at new England home against the bills. They lost them both after those games, they rebounded and they found a way to win 10 games you know that's tough to do every year to start off 0-2 put yourself in the hole so to get one now was great and then with the Bills you know they have beaten Miami so many times in a row it seems like <laughs> um, we're due for one of these games I think to win against them and with them already being 0-1 if it could be next week to put them at 0-2 have Miami at 2-0 it does kind of change the landscape of the AFC East at least early in the season I still think the Bills over the long haul are the best team in the AFC East I really do I, I and even if they got off to like an 0-2 an start they're they have enough talent to rebound from that but man it would be enormous for Miami to rebound um to sort of come off this win win again next week and then put the Bills at 0-2 as well that would be sort of a statement early on here in the 2021 season. Mike Oliva from DolphinsTalk.com. He's here with us on the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM and FM and WDEVRadio.com. You know, you talked about Tua's interception, the Jonathan Jones pick in the fourth quarter. After the game, J.C. Jackson, Pat's defensive back, said, that's what Tua does. If he doesn't have his first read, he is just going to throw the ball up, and that's when we capitalize as a defense when he makes mistakes like that. Is that true, or is Jackson just having sour grapes? That's sour grapes. I mean, there's things you can knock about him, and you can, and there's things you can knock about to uh, turnovers really ain't one of them. Um, last year in his uh, nine starts, I believe he only had like four or five interceptions the entire time. He does protect the ball well. That play yesterday, a little bit of a fluky play, and yes, he should have either just taken the sack or, you know, thrown the ball somewhere else to get it out of bounds. Um, it was a mistake, no doubt, but I think that's a little bit of saltiness and sour grapes there. <laughs> I mean, you can knock him for a lot of things to it, but that's not one of them. He really does protect the ball well, and he doesn't turn it over all that much. So, you know, I know what um, right after a game, it's high emotions for all the players and stuff. So that might have been that talking more than pure honesty, <laughs> I would think. I don't know, though. Who knows? What did you think of Jalen Waddell? Um, going into the game, I said, you know, honestly, that there wasn't a whole lot about the Dolphins offense that scared me except for Jalen Waddell. And I thought his speed was on display yesterday, and I thought he played pretty well and gave them um, a dynamicness that they haven't had for the last couple of years. What did you guys make of Waddell? He is everything that this offense needs. He is the speed. He is someone who can who can take a small – who can take a short – pass and just take it right to the end zone from anywhere on the field this offense especially last year 2020 you know 
they had two of their wide receivers opt out. Parker is always injured. Preston Williams gets hurt in week eight. He never returns. They were playing at the end of the year last year, how they won 10 games when they had guys like Malcolm Perry, who was a quarterback at Navy, and yeah. Lynn Bowden Jr., who was a quarterback at Kentucky playing wide receiver. It really is like a minor miracle. They won <laughs> 10 games with those guys lining up for wide receiver. So now the fact they got Waddle, Will Fuller comes back, Parker's healthy for now, you know, yeah. for now. <laughs> um, they got some healthy weapons for him. So I think this offense is really going to sort of be much improved here in the next few weeks. And the Patriots have a really good defense. But Waddle, he just gives them an um, a speed element and someone who can get yards after catch and who can get open with his speed, which Miami hasn't have, have has had a lot of those guys in recent years. You know, the Patriots threw it more yesterday than I expected. I really thought in a 70 play sequence, they'd probably run it 40 times and throw it 30. It was the complete opposite. Um, that surprised me given that Mac Jones is a rookie and given how strong the Dolphins secondary is. Did that surprise you? Well, they threw it, but they didn't throw it much at Howard and Jones. They were targeting the safeties and linebackers. They did not test Howard. I don't think they tested him once. And Jones, maybe just a couple times. Most of the targets were middle of the field, um, find the matchups with the linebackers and safety. So it did surprise me a little, especially after the first play of the game where they had that long run for 35 yards. I'm like, they're just going to run the ball a lot today. And they did run it a lot. But um, they didn't really test the corners much. They tried to avoid those two, which is obviously smart. And a lot of those drives were long drives by the Patriots with short passes, middle of the field against the linebackers and safety. So it makes sense. It's a smart – it's um, smart, and it, it almost worked because they almost won. So um, surprised they threw it that much, but they really didn't test the corners that much. I understand that this will even out likely over the course of a 17-game season. But was the roughing the passer call against Elandon Roberts the worst penalty you've ever seen in your life or what? Uh, yes. It's, it's by the rule, it was right. because But I just hate the rule. So, yeah. But by the rule, it's the right call. But it's like, what do you want the guy to do? He has to hit the guy somewhere. You can't hit him high. You can't hit him in the head. It, technically, hit him low, it's there. And plus, he's sort of falling to the ground. So right. I don't know what you what he could have done, you know, other than just not touch the guy at all, which is probably not an option in his mind. So it's a horrible call, but that's the rule. It's a rule that needs to be changed or at least tweaked because there was no intent there to hurt anybody. It's just that was the only place he could actually hit him at that point because how the play worked out. So, yeah, that's a bad call. And uh, if Miami would have lost that game yesterday, South Florida would be up in arms over that <laughs> call like you wouldn't believe. Mike, I'll get you out of here on this. The prospect of having to play Mac Jones two times a year for the next five years, how does that land with you as a Dolphins fan? Um, I don't know yet. I said this after the game yesterday, and I still sort of stand by it. Heading into this game, I had no idea about Mac Jones. I know a lot of people in national media kind of anointed him heading into this game, and I was like, he hasn't even played a real game. And I didn't know what to expect um, in the lead-up to the draft I wasn't the highest on Mac Jones. I thought he was just, you know, okay. I, I wasn't even sure he should have been picked in round one. After seeing him in the preseason, seeing him yesterday, he's not going to be a bust. He won't be awful. He's going to be good. I don't know if he'll be great, but he's going to be good. And, you know, if you put the pieces around him, and I do think he needs some more, some more help at wide receiver there, um, I think he's going to be a guy who's, you know, capable enough to lead them into the playoffs when the 
you know, AFC East every so often. He's a capable NFL quarterback. I think that's clear. I just don't know if he's going to be great and someone who, when you see him on the schedule, it's like, oh, no, we're playing Mac Jones this week. I don't know if he's that guy, but I think he's going to be very good and good. Michael Leva, managing editor, DolphinsTalk.com. Dolphins are 1-0 and on the year, beating the Pats 17-16. Pats will try to right the ship as they get ready to take on the Jets in Week 2. So, Mike, we appreciate it, and uh, we will talk to you again. Thanks, Brady. You have a uh, good one. Yeah, you too. There goes Mike Oliva from DolphinsTalk.com. Appreciate his time there. A couple things uh, on that interview. One, I, I disagree. I don't think the Dolphins deserved to win. Now, Mike thinks they deserve to win because they were able to force two turnovers. And and you certainly want to be opportunistic as a defense and you want to create takeaways. And oftentimes, creating more takeaways does lead to win. So I understand his perspective, but the Dolphins got – you know they got dominated in a lot of the game. Okay, again, Pats much better on third down. Pats ran it better. Pats threw it better. Pats had better time of possession. And if the Pats do what they're supposed to do in the red zone, they win that game going away. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't go as far as saying the Dolphins got lucky, but I also wouldn't go as far as saying the Dolphins deserved it. Also, that roughing the passer call, even though it went the Patriots' way, was just ridiculous. And I believe the Patriots went and turned that pass interference or that uh, roughing the passer play into the touchdown pass to Nelson Aguilar. The Pats did not deserve that. Um, you know, didn't deserve those points. That was a horrific call on a Landon Roberts. It, it at, you know, it kept the drive going for the Pats. Mike's right about it. There was no intent there. Mac Jones was already kind of falling to the ground and basically Roberts just kind of grasped Mac Jones's feet and kind of cradled him to the ground. It, it, that was a bad call. It will even out, I'm sure, over the course of the season. And you'll see the Pats, you know, get hosed by something like that also. But um certainly was a bad call. And and we'll see a couple of we'll see a bunch more of them throughout the year as the, the league looks to protect its quarterbacks. We'll get back into some takeaways on things that Michael Leva said at about six fifteen. But when we come back, we'll get you ready for Red Sox and Mariners tonight. We'll update you on the state of the AL playoff picture, and I'll tell you why I absolutely hate everything about tonight's matchup. That's next on the Brady Farkas Show right here on WDEV AM and FM. Now it's back to the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. Welcome back in, Brady Farkas Show right here on WDEV AM and FM and WDEVradio.com. Reminder, the Napa Mooresville Napa Waterbury text line is open, 802 585 3026. What are you looking for out of this three-game series in Seattle for the Boston Red Sox? We'll take your thoughts on that as well off the text line. And remember, you can always subscribe to our full show podcast on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. More than 275,000 downloads of the Brady Farkas Show podcast in just 10 months. We appreciate all of you. So the Red Sox lose two out of three to the White Sox in Chicago this weekend. And they have a big three-game series with the Mariners that begins tonight in Seattle. Let's kind of set the stage here first. Here's where we're at right now in the playoff race. The Blue Jays and Red Sox are currently in the 1-2 positions for the wild card. They have the exact same winning percentage. Toronto right now, by virtue of the loss column, is the 1, and the Red Sox are the 2. But they are tied. The Yankees, who won today against the Twins, came back from four runs down, five runs down, actually. They are a half game behind both of those teams. Seattle and Oakland are three back 
of both the Red Sox and Toronto. As for the Mariners themselves, who the Red Sox are playing today, they are coming off just an inexplicably bad weekend where they lost two of three to the Diamondbacks at home. The Diamondbacks are one game better than the Orioles. So for a team in the Mariners that's you know on the fringes of the playoff race, that is absolutely an embarrassment, and that's why they have fallen back a bit. On Friday night, the Mariners were just one game back. They are now three back by virtue of uh, what they did this weekend against the Diamondbacks. We've got the coverage for you tonight beginning at 9-10. The first pitch is at 10-10. I hate this series. I hate this series every year. I really do, and I'll just give it to you straight. I'm a diehard Mariners fan, okay? Diehard Mariners fan. I used to live in Seattle. I grew up there. I spent the last 25 years on the East Coast banging the Mariners' drum, and I'm the only one that's ever cared, okay? I like the Red Sox. I've adopted the Red Sox by virtue of my jobs here in New England and by virtue of being in New England, and I really do genuinely root for the Red Sox. I hate this series, though, because it puts my heart against my head and against my work. Too many times to count, I've stayed up until 1 o'clock in the morning watching the Mariners blow some meaningless game you know, after dark. Too many times. Like I love this team, and I hate when they play the Red Sox. I want nothing more than to see the Mariners snap the longest playoff drought in sports. I want nothing more than that. That's right. You heard me right. The Mariners have the longest playoff drought in all of sports. Mariners won a league record 116 games in 2001 and have not been to the playoffs since. The Mariners' playoff drought can nearly drink. Like, that's how long it is. It's nearly 21 years old at this point. Um, Like, the Cleveland Browns have made the playoffs twice and won a game since then. The Sacramento Kings, the Clippers, the Lions, all these teams we think of as just woe-be-gone franchises, they've all been to the playoffs more recently than the Mariners have. So my heart says I want the Mariners to sweep this series, but my head knows it's good for this show and it's good for all of you out there if the Red Sox win this series. So I, I just hate being in this position where I have to you know, root against either my team or my adopted team. So... I hate this series. That's why. All that being said, here's what I think is going to happen. I think the Red Sox are going to win two out of three here. Okay, I think the Red Sox in Seattle are going to win two out of three. Even though they're COVID decimated right now at this point, I think they're going to take the series. The Mariners are above average. I don't know that I would call them good. Their record is good. But I don't know that I would call them good. The Mariners are like minus 60 for the year in their run differential. Like Teams with winning records, teams that go to the playoffs, don't have negative run differentials. The Mariners have have a big-time negative run differential. They get blown out, and they win close, and that is what they do. They're above average. They're interesting. They play really hard, but I don't know that I would call them good. They're finally coming out of the other side of a painful rebuild. They have that youthful energy. Again, they play hard. They do some incredibly fun things. But at the end of the day, they play a bunch of kids, and kids make mistakes. You're going to see tonight a bunch of averages for Seattle in the low 200s. They have the worst batting average in the American League. They strike out a ton, 
And that's because they're playing rookies and youngsters everywhere. And occasionally those rookies and youngsters get a timely hit that wins a game. And sometimes they leave the bases loaded after having them loaded with nobody out. It's the nature of what they're doing. Given the veteran nature of the Red Sox pitching staff, at least in these first couple of games, Erod tonight, I believe Evaldi tomorrow, I think the Red Sox will take advantage of that youth. So I think the Red Sox win two out of three in this series. And then the Mariners' starting staff in this series matches up with what the Red Sox do well. The M's tonight are starting a rookie pitcher in Logan Gilbert who has electric stuff, but he's also a rookie. You will see him tonight hit 97 miles an hour, 98 miles an hour. You'll see him get some strikeouts. He will punch some guys out, and he will look dominant doing that. But you'll also probably see him struggle to locate a secondary pitch, and Red Sox veteran hitters will probably make you pay when you get behind in the count. When he's faced the Astros, he struggled. When he's faced the A's, he's struggled. These good teams that work counts that you know punish you with a high pitch count, and they punish you because they don't chase your secondary offering, and then you get behind 3-1 and you have to throw a cookie fastball, veteran teams take advantage of that, and the Red Sox have an advantage there because they have a largely veteran lineup. And then the next two days, the Mariners pitch a couple of soft-tossing lefties, like Red Sox strength is in their right-handed hitters. Devers aside, who's a lefty, but Bogarts, J.D. Martinez, if he's back in the lineup, Kike Hernandez, Christian Vasquez, Kevin Ploiecki. This is a righty-dominant team for the most part. And a couple of soft-tossing lefties for Seattle, I think they'll be able to capitalize on that too. So I think the Red Sox have an advantage here. Even though it's 3,000 miles away, even though they're coming off a tough loss yesterday, even though COVID has hit them, I just feel like the Red Sox have the advantage. Their their veteran staff can take advantage of the young Mariner hitters. Their veteran hitters can take advantage of a young and soft-tossing Mariner staff. It just feels like Boston kind of gets right in this series. I, I think that this series probably ends things for the Mariners. You know, they you know they're probably again losing two or three. You'd be four back at least with you know, 18 to play, it just you'd be running out of time. So if my Mariners are going to go by the wayside in this series, as I think they are, the Red Sox better use this as the jump-off point for them. Because even in this COVID remaining state, or this COVID state, if they take two of three from Seattle, like I think, they got nine games left with the Orioles and Nationals. That's something that we've pointed to for a while and said, I can't wait until we get to that point. If you get through this, take the two out of three, like I think, and then now you've got the real easy schedule moving forward, this is where the Red Sox have to get going. They have to take advantage here. Get through these next three games and then dominate the back half of your schedule for the rest of the year and get to the playoffs. They built a good cushion early in the season. They've been able to sit on it and hold on to the lead here, hold on to a wild card spot, you know, barely by the skin of their teeth. They can just get through these three games. They have an opportunity to, to capitalize on what is a very forgiving schedule at the back end of the season. So uh, if you take care of business, things start to line up nicely. I think the Red Sox, again, take two out of three. Eduardo Rodriguez tonight, I'm looking for him to use all his pitches, change up, cutter. I think he can, again, frustrate a young Mariners lineup. You will be amazed when you see the averages in this Mariners roster. 
Okay, it's going to be a lot of 210, 206, 228, 231. It's not pretty. They've won a lot of games by by virtue of pitching, bullpen, and defense. They are not going to put up 10 runs in any game here. They just don't do that. If the Red Sox can score four, they got a very good chance at winning. And I think they're going to be able to do that in more cases than not in this game. Hauk is scheduled to pitch on Wednesday. That's probably the one I'd be worried about if I were a Red Sox fan. Evaldi's on a great run. I think he's pitching tomorrow. That's I would really you know, point to uh, him as, as having a chance to dominate. So the swing game, I think, is Erod. And Erod tonight, I think, does enough. All right, Patriots beaten by the Dolphins yesterday, 17-16. to 16. We had Michael Leva from DolphinsTalk.com on just a little while ago, and I asked him about J.C. Jackson's comments. J.C. Jackson, defensive back for the Patriots, said after the game that regarding the interception the Pats had of Tua yesterday in the fourth quarter, he said that's what Tua does. If he doesn't have his first read, he throws it up there. And that's where we can capitalize. So he's basically saying that Tua is a one-read quarterback, and they were waiting for him to make the big mistake. Michael Leva on those comments by Jackson. So that's sour grapes. I mean, there's things you can knock about him, and you can, and there's things you can knock about Tua. Turnovers really ain't one of them. Um, last year in his uh, nine starts, I believe he only had like four or five interceptions the entire time. He does protect the ball well. That play yesterday, a little bit of a fluky play. And, yes, he should have either – just taking the sack or, you know, throwing the ball somewhere else to get it out of bounds. Um, it was a mistake, no doubt, but I think that's a little bit of saltiness and sour grapes there. <laughs> I mean, you can knock him for a lot of things to it, but that's not one of them. Yeah, it felt like sour grapes to me too. I can't really defend that from J.C. Jackson. I think he is upset that they lost. I think he's upset that they didn't take the ball away more against Miami, that the defense only allowed 17 points, but I think he's upset that they weren't able to completely shut down the Dolphins' offense. You know, clearly the defense, or at least Jackson, didn't have a lot of respect for Tua. But I do think Jackson, in addition to having sour grapes, to Mike's point, I think Jackson's just wrong in this. Like Tua's reputation is, I think, that he's too conservative, that he won't take a chance, that he plays very safe, that he doesn't push the ball downfield. I think the reputation of Tua is the opposite of what Jackson says. Jackson thinks that he's too reckless at times and he gets nervy. I think Tua is too conservative. I think it's completely the opposite. So I think Jackson is frustrated, and I don't begrudge him for being frustrated post game. But if you're going to be frustrated, at least be right. And I don't think Jackson was in this case. Um, and I'm not a believer in yapping when you've lost. And I'm not a believer in giving guys bulletin board material. And they're going to see the Dolphins again later in the season. And, and I'm sure that that quote by Jackson is going to get some play in that locker room. So I appreciate Jackson's honesty. I like it as a media member. As a fan, I don't love the motivation that he's probably given the Dolphins and given Tua. And I don't think he's right. If anything, Tua holds the ball and... You know, doesn't do enough with it. I don't think he's as reckless as Jackson makes him out to be. Brady Farkas Show, WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. Napa Morrisville, Napa Waterbury, text line 802-585-3026. Thoughts on the Patriots, thoughts on the Red Sox. What do you guys got for me? You got a couple here that we'll get to here momentarily, but if you have thoughts on what you saw from 
New England? What did you like yesterday? What did you dislike? What are you excited about? Did Mac Jones's play concern you in any way? Would you have rather had Cam Newton? All of those things can be asked on the Napa Morrisville, Napa Waterbury text line. All right, we do it every single day. Let's get to who's saying what. Whoa, whoa, whoa. What did he say? Here's what we know about New England. Their running game production, their offensive line, their special teams, and their defense will all be top five. And they have the best coach in the game. They're going to win a bunch of games. They really said that? Every damn thing is politics and race. And I'm losing my mind over it. It's time for Who's Saying What on the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. You know... I have been trying to rack my brain for the last 24 hours, and I've been thinking to myself, would Cam Newton have won that game yesterday? He won a very similar game last year in the opener. Ugly, low scoring, and he had less talent around him. So Cam has won, you know, has won a game very similar to what we saw yesterday. He won that game last year. Would he have won yesterday's? I keep coming back to the same answer, though. I don't know. As big a Cam fan as I am, I don't know that Cam wins that game yesterday. I was texting a couple people immediately yesterday, and I said Cam probably does. But the more I sit back and think about it level-headedly, I'm not sure. Cam being there wouldn't have changed the fumbles by Ramondre Stevenson and Damian Harris. I don't know that Cam would have done passing-wise what Mac Jones did, going 29 for 39 for 281. I don't know if Cam would have been as good against the Blitz as Mac Jones was. I don't know if he would have been as good pre-snap as Mac Jones was. But I do think this. I can say confidently that there is one area that Cam would have been helpful to the Patriots yesterday in a way that Mac Jones wasn't. And it's exactly what former Pats tight end Jermaine Wiggins said on WEEI this morning. The only thing, the only difference uh. is, is that maybe when you get inside the red zone, you might be able to put one of those packages together where you can use Cam's legs and his ability to maybe run. I said at the beginning of the show, if you point to the reason the Patriots lost it's because of their inability to capitalize in the red zone. That's why they lost yesterday. They couldn't score touchdowns when they got to the red zone. And I think that's the area where Cam really excelled. Now, Harris, notwithstanding, is really good in the red area. Stevenson, I think, can be a weapon there. The tight ends will be valuable there. But the need to account for Cam as a runner also would have certainly helped the Pats. It would have diversified the offense further. Again, I'm not saying... The Pats win the game with Cam at the quarterback position. I'm not sure they get to the red zone four times with Cam at quarterback, but if they were in the red zone, I think Cam would have been a benefit there. He would have been better than Mac Jones. His running ability, mixed with simply having to be accounted for as a runner, would have made a positive impact. That I can say confidently. I don't know if Cam wins that game, but in the red zone, I think Cam would have been better a more diversified offense, and would have made the Dolphins think more. That I believe confidently, 100%. The Pats with Mac Jones, they will figure this out. They will figure out the red zone. But when you look at where they're lacking, or where they were lacking yesterday, and you know not having Cam, it was that. Okay, It was that. I was excited to see what Cam could do in the red area, but the team will figure it out with Mac Jones. By the way, 
if at home you're playing the where will Cam Newton go next game, it's not going to be Washington. Okay, Ryan Fitzpatrick got hurt. He's headed to the injured reserve. They're going to go with Taylor Heineke and Kyle Allen. They're not going to go with Cam Newton. So Cam not going to get a job with the Washington football team. But Ryan Fitzpatrick's out for like eight weeks here. Quarterbacks get injured. Backups are needed. Veterans are needed. So it's not Washington, but there will be a chance for Cam if he wants to play this year. There will be someone that gets injured. Pray that it's not, knock on wood, the guy on your team. But there will be opportunities for Cam here over the course of this season. Washington, I didn't think was going to happen because would have been, you know, too much, you know, too the Ron Rivera thing, they loved each other in Carolina. They got along great. I don't know that that's something that either side really wants to go down again because that story can kind of overshadow the team, and you don't want that. And Cam's not vaccinated. And we understand that vaccination shouldn't play a role in who's kept or who's cut or who's signed or who's not. Well, Ron Rivera is a cancer survivor, and he's given his team the business about their low vaccination number back in the offseason. I don't think that he wants to bring in an unvaccinated backup. I don't know if anybody wants to bring in an unvaccinated backup unless they're completely desperate. And I don't think the Washington football team sees themselves as completely desperate. They like Taylor Heineke. They liked him all offseason. That's why they signed him after last year's little mini playoff run there. So Heineke, Kyle Allen, they get the job. Cam still left without one. All right, Brady Farkas show right here on WDEV. AM and FM and WDEVradio.com. We will step aside. When we come back, we will unpack the Patriots. We'll take a look at a few other storylines from yesterday's loss to the Miami Dolphins. Pats 0-1 kick off the 2021 NFL season. That's next on DEV. Now it's back to the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. Welcome back, Brady Farkas Show, right here on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. Continuing to react to the Patriots' season-opening loss to the Miami Dolphins. It's time for us to unpack the Patriots. Let's uh, get a little music behind it, everybody. Let's see here. Uh, how about... Oh, there you go. NFL primetime music is always football music. There you go. Uh, now let's get the sounder. The good. And Tua trying to get away, got a block, Phillips was chasing, and it is almost picked off, it was! And the bat. And it's Miami football, their second fumble recovery of the day. We unpack the Patriots now on the Brady Farkas Show. Your thoughts, what did you take away from yesterday's game? 802-585-3026, Napa Morrisville, Napa Waterbury, text line. These are in no particular order, but they are things that stood out to me. The play calling surprised me for the Pats offensively. I don't think this is a sustainable formula for the Patriots moving forward this season. You know, ironically, we asked Phil Perry of NBC Sports Boston on Friday. We said, look, if they get 70 plays, and we just made up a random number of 70 plays, we asked them, what would the breakdown be between run and pass? They got exactly 70 plays yesterday. So we threw it out as a, as a hypothetical, and they got exactly 70 plays, and they had 39 throws and 30 runs. Okay, 39 throws, 30 runs for the Patriots. When we asked Phil that question, how would your breakdown be in a 70-play series or 70-play game? 
Here's what Phil said. I think they're going to come out and really try to establish the run. Use that old football cliche. That's what they want to do. That's what they should be able to do against this Miami Dolphins front. The strength of their defense is in the secondary. So to expect them to come out in Mac Jones' first game against one of the best secondaries in football, in my opinion, with those two corners that they have, you're asking for trouble. So why would you mess with that? So he said that he thinks they would have run the ball more. He later threw out to us that in a 70-game script, he'd probably have 40 runs and 30 passes. It was the exact opposite. So... I'm not sure why that is. The play calling stood out to me. I'm not sure why more passes than runs when nobody thought that. Maybe they thought Mac Jones was having success. Maybe they thought they had softened the defense up in the first half and then could go to the pass later. But I don't think it's a formula for this team to have Mac Jones throw it 40 times a game consistently, especially against the defense who excels against the pass. So that was surprising to me. I'd rather see the Pats run it 40 times and throw it 30. Okay, I'd rather see that. Take, Make less throws, but make those throws count. Go deeper down the field. Utilize play action. I'd rather see all of that. We, we got too much, too much passing yesterday for my liking at this point of the season. We're going to get to a point where Mac Jones can throw it 35, 40 times a game. Yesterday, I didn't think, day one, I didn't think we were there. And I was surprised to see the game flow and the game develop as we went on. Uh, number two for me, we said one of the keys to the game, if you go back to Friday's show and listen on the podcast app on Apple Podcasts and Spotify, right at the end of the show, we said that one of our keys to the game was the Patriots' ability to tackle in space, and the Pats weren't particularly good in that area. And overall, that's a big deal. Okay, Tua Tagovailoa had 202 yards passing. More than half of them came on yards after the catch. Tua threw for 202 yards, and 106 of those yards came on yards after the catch. You can't afford to let that happen. Miami's not an incredibly explosive offense right now. Now, they have Jalen Waddell. They have guys who can be explosive, but overall, their philosophy is not to be explosive. So it might not have killed you yesterday, but when you take on Cleveland, who's explosive, it will. When you take on Dallas, who's explosive, it will hurt you. When you take on Tennessee, who's explosive, it will hurt you. You have to be able to tackle and limit yards after the catch. Eight-yard passes cannot become 18. Four-yard passes cannot become nine-yard passes. You have to be able to tackle. You have to be able to tackle, especially in space. You cannot give away free yards, and yesterday the Patriots did that. Someday... They're going to play against a better offense and a more dynamic quarterback, and they're going to get burned if they can't tackle in space. Yesterday, they probably lucked out given who they're going up against, but if you can't fundamentally tackle and limit yards after the catch, you're going to be in trouble, and the Pats will be moving forward. Number three takeaway from me as we unpack the Patriots. Bill Belichick cannot afford to put Ramondre Stevenson on ice. Ramondre Stevenson, the rookie running back from Oklahoma. He got in the game yesterday. He fumbled. Okay, Ramondre Stevenson fumbled. And usually when you fumble as a Patriots running back, you don't usually get back in the game when you're a young player. Fumbling a football is not a way to get yourself more time and more opportunities. I get that. But Bill Belichick can't afford to put Ramondre Stevenson on ice. They're going to need him. This is a 17-game season. 
hey, this is a 17-game season. If you are going to be the run-first team that we think that you are, yesterday notwithstanding, Damian Harris cannot be the only physical back that you have. I understand you want to punish the kid for his mistake and you want to prove a point, and that's okay for week one. But this team is going to need Ramondre Stevenson, and Damian Harris is going to need a blow. So you need to get the kid's confidence up rather than shred it. You want to prove a point. Fine. That's week one. Now let's build the kid back up and understand he's going to play an important role in this team moving forward. You cut Cam Newton. Fine. You traded Sony Michelle. Fine. But the rushing attack isn't as deep as it was just three weeks ago. You can't just phase Stevenson out. Harris is hugely important to this team. But Stevenson is going to have to help too in a lot of ways. Take the pressure off Harris. Take Give Harris a blow. This team can't go with just James White, J.J. Taylor, Brandon Bolden. They need another thumper in there, and Stevenson can be that guy. Do not just put him on ice. Number four, when we look at yesterday's game, number four takeaways, the newcomers for the Patriots. Okay, They all made an impact in their own way. Okay, A lot of guys did a lot of good things. Now, Jonu Smith had a carry. Jonu Smith also had five catches. Hunter Henry had three catches. We saw Kendrick Bourne have a catch. We saw Nelson Aguilar lead the team in yards receiving yesterday. So offensively, a lot of the newcomers did well. Patriots quarterbacks, get this had 18 completions to tight ends all of last season. Yesterday, Mac Jones had eight. He had eight completions to tight ends yesterday, last year, 18 the whole season. So the tight ends already are making an impact. Even though they didn't win, even though they didn't score, the tight ends are already making an impact. The Pats used two tight ends in nearly 50% of their snaps yesterday. In those 70 plays, I think 48 of them were were with two tight ends on the field. So we saw the you know we saw what we wanted to see. We saw the newcomers who you spent money on. We saw them make an impact even in a loss. Napa Morrisville, Napa Waterbury text line as we unpack the Patriots, 802 585 Bill up in St. Albans says, Brady, did you think the Patriots got out coached yesterday? Um you know They've been talking a lot about this in Boston. I don't know that I would say outcoached, okay? I would say that the play calling surprised me. I don't think that's outcoached. It just surprised me. I wanted to see this team run the football more. They ran it effectively when they ran it, but I wanted to see them run it more. And I wanted to see them take more shots down the field off play action. I'd have to go back and like really watch the tape and watch the game again, but off the top of my head, like I don't recall a lot of play action. We thought the best thing for this team was going to be run, 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 soften up the defense, boom, deep shot. We didn't see a lot of that. Now, again, Miami secondary is very good, so maybe that was part of it. Maybe that partially dictated what happened, but we didn't see some of the deep shots off play action I was hoping for. And I did not like putting Ramondre Stevenson on ice. I wanted to see him play more. I understand he fumbled, but, you know, get the kid back out there. He's going to be important in a 17-game season. Sometimes it's important to recognize that more than just, you know, punishing the kid and sticking him in timeout. So, uh, outcoached, I don't know that I'd go that far. I thought defensively the Pats were obviously good to only allow 
17 points. I thought that Tua made a couple of nice passes, but by and large, the defensive scheme was good. The Pats' poor tackling was a problem, but that's nothing really that's caused by the coaches. So, no, I wouldn't say they were out-coached, but there were some things, again, that surprised me. Um, Mark in South Burlington. Brady, is there a player to you besides Mac Jones that stood out yesterday in a positive way? Jacoby Myers, again, it's an easy answer, though. Jacoby Myers, I just think, is a good football player. And he had six catches, and he tied for the team lead in catches, and he's there on third down, and he's there at the intermediate distance. Jacoby Myers is just, I think, central to what this team will do offensively. He's not Julian Edelman in terms of his physicality, but he's Julian Edelman-like in terms of his reliability, and they're going to need him. They're going to continue to need him moving forward. This is a very pro-Jacoby Myers show. We like Jacoby Myers here on the Brady Farkas show. All right, it is the Brady Farkas show on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. Our show is brought to you in part by... Um, See, I've got a, an interesting tweet there that I'm going to save for tomorrow, but uh, a Dolphins fan with a shot at uh, Mac Jones. Well, we're going to get to that tomorrow, but the show brought to you in part by Pro Driver Training. That's Pro Driver Training online at prodrivercdl.com. That's prodrivercdl.com. They've got great facilities in Enosburg and in Milton, and they can help take your career to the next level. So if you need a new job or you're looking to change jobs or get your first job, Pro Driver Training can be for you. They help you uh, get your Class A CDL, your Class B CDL, passengers, advanced skills training, book work, coursework, field work. They've got you covered there. So that's ProDriverCDL.com. All right, we do this every single day. Let's get to crazy Twitter takes. The internet, it's a really weird place. Where'd you hear that? The internet. And you believed it? Yeah, they can't put anything on the internet that isn't true. Where'd you hear that? The, the internet. internet. It's time for crazy Twitter takes on the Brady Farkas Show right here on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. Doesn't anyone notice this? I feel like I'm taking crazy pills! All right, I was watching a little bit this morning, first take on ESPN. It's not something that I do regularly. It's not really a part of my day, but I had it on in the background at work today, and they were asking, should we be concerned about the Patriots after one game? And I do think that that is a crazy Twitter take to even have the conversation. This is what I didn't want to happen. I did not want to do the week one overreactions. In some markets, that is the case. You're going to overreact, right? Look, if you're in Cleveland and you have sky-high expectations, I get you're wondering today, are these the same old Browns? I get overreaction Monday there because the expectations are so high. I get overreacting in Green Bay because you're freaking out that you got beat 38-3 to and what happened to Aaron Rodgers. Some markets, I think, have the ability to freak out today positively or negatively. I don't think that our market is one of them. The Patriots want to win. And yes, they have a roster that can win. But when you have a rookie quarterback, I think that forces you to exhibit some patience. Now, if Cam was the quarterback yesterday and yesterday happened, I'd get the freak out or the wordy or the questions or or whatever. I'd get it because with Cam here, I have a different set of expectations. With Mac Jones here, I think you got to take your foot off the gas pedal a bit. 
I get you want to win, but stop worrying so much about what happened and start worrying about why it happened. Okay, rookie quarterbacks are for growth, are for development. They are not for Super Bowl in year one. And when you wrap your mind around that, you will stop overreacting. Mac Jones, the team will improve, and Mac Jones will be even better. The Pats are fine. They go into a winnable matchup next week with the Jets. If they lose that one, then maybe I'll change my tune because that's a team they're significantly better than. But I told you in the last hour, I wanted to see traits from Mac Jones, and I saw traits. He played well enough to win, and that's what matters to me. The quarterback did enough good things to put this team in a position to win. Wasn't perfect, wasn't completely clean, team had too many penalties, they're not all on Mac. So let's let's pull back off the should we be concerned. This is not a market that needs to overreact here on day one. Win next week and you're 1-1, one and, one and I'm fine with that. I, if Cam were here, I think the Pats would have been 3-0 through three games. With Mac Jones here, if they go 2-1, and one, I'm 100% fine with that too. I want to see growth. And when you have a rookie quarterback, you have an opportunity. Or you, you, When you have a rookie quarterback playing, I think the market has to exhibit some patience. I know you don't want to, but overreaction Monday shouldn't exist when you have a rookie quarterback. Even a rookie quarterback for the New England Patriots. It's the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. When we come back, we'll continue to get you ready for Red Sox Mariners tonight. The Red Sox have been rough here lately. There's been one guy they've needed who hasn't been there for them. That's next. Now it's back to the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. Yeah, yeah. Welcome back to Brady Farkas Show right here on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. Remember, Dinner Jazz with John Wilson tonight, coming up from about 7 until just after 9, and then we'll have Red Sox baseball, Sox and Mariners out west, 9-10 with the pregame show, 10-10 with the first pitch. The Red Sox need to get Rafael Devers going again. In the last 12 games in which the Red Sox have been COVID-ravaged, in which they really need the limited amount of players who are available to be, you know, really good. Devers just hasn't been. His last 12 games, Devers has 47 at-bats, he has one home run, and he has 19 strikeouts. In the last 12 games in which Rafael Devers is one of the guys who's needed to carry this offense. Remember, Kike Hernandez gone for most of that. Xander Bogart's gone for most of that. Uh, you've seen Christian Arroyo gone for most of that. A lot of key offensive pieces has been out, and you would hope that Rafael Devers would be able to step up and help carry the offense in this hard time, and he just hasn't. 47 at-bats, 19 strikeouts. That's unacceptable. Rafael Devers is one of the best young hitters in baseball. He does have over 100 RBIs. He has done great things for your team, for your organization, and for your lineup. They've needed him over this last week and change, two weeks, and he hasn't been able to produce. The offense has needed a catalyst, and Rafael Devers has not been there to drive the bus, and that's disappointing. Hopefully tonight he can get it going because this team, yeah, they bring back Xander Bogarts, but J.D. Martinez has been out the last two games with back spasms. They need an offensive turnaround, and they need their stars to play like stars. And Devers is a star. 
and he needs to give a star performance. Now, Mariners throw two lefties in the next two games. Well, I'm sorry, this one it's a righty, but then two lefties. So I get that's kind of a tough ask right now with two lefties, but they need a star effort. This is this is not a slump in May. This is a slump at the most inopportune time of the season. The Red Sox need their stars to play like stars because they they got so many guys unavailable that everybody needs to step up, and the people who can step up the most are the people who are the best players you have remaining in your lineup. Verdugo needs to step up. Devers needs to step up. And if J.D. Martinez is available and playing, he needs to step up as well. I'm surprised to see those numbers from Devers. I've known that he's striking out more and his average isn't as good in the last two weeks, but to see it quantified as one home run and six RBI, that was a little bit surprising to me. He's not hitting for any power. His slugging percentage is down. His OPS is down. I mean, not good numbers from Devers over the last couple of weeks. Um, as for the game tonight, it's Logan Gilbert for Seattle, Eduardo Rodriguez for the Red Sox. I think the Red Sox take tonight's game. I said before I think they're going to win two out of three in this series. I think they'll frustrate the young Mariners tonight. We'll see what happens. Coverage begins at 9-10. Again, Gilbert is very good and has electric stuff. I think the Sox hitters are going to work walks, not chase pitches, force high pitch counts. I think they'll make Gilbert come into the zone, and I think they'll be able to capitalize. Eduardo Rodriguez, he delivered a dud his last time out. I want to see him attack the strike zone. These Mariners will swing and miss. They will strike out. The Mariners' best hitters largely are left-handed hitters, Kyle Seeger and Jared Kelnick. So, you know, to have a lefty out there can neutralize some of those lefties they have. And they'll, they'll have a bunch of righties in the lineup, but outside of Mitch Hanniger and Ty France, no one really scares you. So Red Sox should use their veteran presence to their nature today. I think they can ultimately win this series. I was thinking about this. Right now, the Yankees are on the outside looking into the playoffs, and the Red Sox are nearly on the outside in. So Sox are in as of today, but they're, you know, they could very easily be out by, you know, by tonight. Who would it be more embarrassing for if they miss the playoffs? Red Sox or the Yankees? Who would it be more embarrassing for if they missed the playoffs? The Red Sox or the Yankees? I think it would be the Yankees, and I don't even know that there's much of a question. The Yankees obviously have the payroll. They obviously have the urgency. They made all the moves at the trade deadline. I think it would be much more embarrassing for the Yankees. Coming into the season, I remember Buster Olney joined me back in like December, and we were talking about the Yankees winning 100 games and being the best team in baseball. I mean, that that's how high the expectations were for the Yankees. For the Red Sox, we were like, hey, win 85 games and finish fourth in the division, and we'll call it a day. So even though the Red Sox have let a huge lead in the division dissipate, and that is embarrassing, it's nowhere near as embarrassing or frustrating as what's happened with the Yankees. I mean, the Yankees players that we expected to continue to make huge jumps just haven't. Glaber Torres has regressed. Gio Urshela has been hurt, COVID, unavailable, but he's not as good as he was. Gary Sanchez continues to frustrate outside of a you know a pretty nice stretch he had for a bit. 
Gary Sanchez continues to be frustrating to Yankee fans. Brett Gardner has given this team almost nothing. So Corey Kluber has been injured a lot of the year. Severino hasn't come back. The Yankees team has been very frustrating. Red Sox have blown it, but the expectations there were so low, I think it's okay overall in the in comparison to the Yankees. Yeah, I won't forget that. Buster only telling me Yankees might win 100 games and they might be the best team. They might be better than the Dodgers. That was what Buster told me last year. And it just hasn't materialized that way. I'll be fascinated to see what happens to Aaron Boone. If they don't make the playoffs, Aaron Boone's getting fired. There's not a doubt in my mind. If they don't make the playoffs, Aaron Boone is getting fired. That team is too good or has too much talent to not make the playoffs. They went. They made too many moves at the deadline you know, to go get Rizzo, to go get Gallo. You can't afford to miss the playoffs. The Red Sox, I think, I think they handled the deadline, you know, better than most people do. They could have made a move for another reliever, but I wasn't in on going to, you know, go give up a bunch for Anthony Rizzo. I like the Schwarber move, and the Schwarber move has, play, has paid off for them. So, Red Sox haven't mortgaged anything, you know, in their failure right now. The Yankees, they've given up some stuff, payroll, prospects. This would be a bad thing for them if they go and miss the playoffs. And uh, if the Blue Jays make the playoffs, watch out, because the Blue Jays, I think, are very dangerous in the playoffs if they get there with how well that they can hit. All right, Red Sox baseball tonight, 9-10 with the first pitch, or 9-10 rather with the pregame show. Again, 10-10 with the first pitch. Out of Erod tonight, I expect him to go at least five innings. I think he'll pitch into the sixth. I want to see the backdoor cutter. I want to see the good changeup. Again, Kyle Seeger, J.P. Crawford, Jared Kelnick, a lot of the best players for the Mariners are left-handed hitters. Erod should have a good time neutralizing that. Abraham Toro's a better left-handed hitter than a right-handed hitter. He'll be hitting right-handed today as a switch hitter. So I think the Red Sox take this one. I'll say the final score in my mind. I'll, I'll predict 6-3. I think the Red Sox will win it comfortably, though. I think they could be up you know, 4 nothing early and kind of coast to a victory. I want to thank... Mike Oliva from DolphinsTalk.com for joining us, as he did in the 5 o'clock hour. The full show podcast is available on Apple Podcasts and on Spotify. We're back at it again tomorrow for a full 90 minutes. That's a full 90 minutes tomorrow, and uh, we will get you ready for Game 2 of the Red Sox Mariners series. So we'll recap Game 1, get you ready for Game 2, and then the voice of the Patriots, Bob Sosie, will be with us tomorrow at 545 as well. Dinner Jazz with John Wilson is coming up next. Again, full show podcast, Apple podcast, and on Spotify. I will see you tomorrow right here on WDEV, AM and FM, WDEVradio.com. And as always, remember, we are streaming for free on the WDEV radio app. Seriously, go find it. Apple Store or your Google Play Store. They've got it. Apple, Android, got you covered. We will see you tomorrow, everybody, right here on WDEV.